Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. And uh, give them a call. You can find out more by visiting the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. We'll visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. And Bill Barnett, former mayor of Naples, always has interesting things to say about what's going on here locally. It is November the 18th, and on this day at exactly noon, in 1883, American Canadian railroads began using four continental time zones to end the confusion of dealing with thousands of local times. The need for continental time zones stemmed directly from the problems of moving passengers and freight over thousands of miles of rail line that covered North America by the 1880s. Since human beings had been first begun keeping track of time, they set their clocks to the local movement of the sun. Even as late as the 1880s, most towns in the U.S. had their own local time zone, uh, generally based on high noon or the time when the sun was the, actually the highest at the point in the sky. As railroads began to shrink the travel time between cities from days or months to mere hours, these local times became a scheduling nightmare. Railroad timetables in major cities listed dozens of different arrival and departure times for the same train, each linked to a different local time zone. You can imagine, shopkeeper would look at the uh, clock in City Square and uh, set his clock according to that. Well, who said that the clock in City Square was the right time? But that's how it was done before this 1883. Efficient rail transportation demanded a more uniform timekeeping system. But then turning to the federal governments for the United States and Canada to create a Northern American system of time zones, the powerful railroad companies took it upon themselves to create a new time zone system. The companies agreed to divide the continent into four time zones. The dividing lines adapted were very close to the ones we still use today. Most Americans and Canadians quickly embraced their new time zones since railroads were often their lifeblood and the main link to the rest of the world. However, it was not until 1918 that Congress officially adopted the railroad time zones and put them under the supervision of the Interstate Commerce Commission. So interesting, isn't it? You're going to get it done. Let private enterprise take care of it, and they did. Right now, we're waiting. Uh, under Rick Scott, we passed a law uh, saying that we should have only one time. We should not have Eastern Daylight Time. We should have only uh, savings time. We should only have one time here in the state of Florida. We currently have two. Part of Florida is in the uh, uh, in this uh, next time zone. Point being is this. Uh, we could uh, simply get... Uh, the Congress to pass to approve our uh, time change, and uh, we'd be off and running with, I'm sure, less inconvenience, perhaps even health problems. So with Republicans touting their defense of personal freedom and Democrats condemning the special session called by Governor Ron DeSantis as a political stunt, lawmakers approved measures Wednesday aimed at blocking any kind of vaccine or test mandates. The Republican-controlled legislature finished work Wednesday night on a package of bills that both defied the Biden administration's vaccine or test requirements for larger businesses and stops local governments from enacting such standards. Sanders called lawmakers back into the Capitol primarily to fight the White House and what Democrats condemned as a political play to enhance the governor's national image and affirm his support among Floridians who refuse vaccinations. Now, of course, that's total nonsense. He uh, supports vaccinations. He just supports individual choice about that. And the uh, Democrats are for having a centralized mandate, one-size-fits-all policy. Fortunately, they lose. Governor DeSantis wins. After the House completed work on the four-bill package, supporters dubbed the Keep America or Florida Free Agenda. Uh, House Speaker Chris Sprouls from uh, Palm Harbor struck back at criticism that it pushed the state further away from promoting vaccines as a means to blunt the COVID-19 pandemic. 
You can be for a vaccine and you can be for an opportunity to get a vaccine and still not support a massive government-forced vaccination, he said. Rouse added that he supported COVID-19 vaccinations, but there are a lot of people who don't feel that way for a variety of different issues. Whatever that issue is, the bill that we passed today will help them have the opportunity to say, this isn't right for me, he added. Florida and more than two dozen mostly Republican-led states are already suing to block the new Occupational Safety and Health Administration rule, which has been put out on hold temporarily by the Federal Appeals Court. The rule requires the companies with more than 100 employees to ensure by January 4th their workers are fully vaccinated or test negative for COVID needed at least once a week, or there'd be big fines. The legislation approved Wednesday prohibits Florida businesses from going forward with such policies. The potential conflict between the federal rule and state law has worried businesses, which remain largely silent during this week's session, because it could expose them to potential lawsuits and federal penalties if OSHA standard is upheld by courts. Republican lawmakers are betting it won't survive the legal challenge. Representative Alex Andrade, who sponsored the bill that eliminates the authority of state health officials to order vaccinations, said the theme of the session was to show the executive authority is not limitless. The primary bill, breaking with OSHA rule, cleared the House in party-line votes Wednesday and also would strengthen the state's parental parents' bill of rights used by DeSantis to back uh, mask requirements in several county school districts or to fight mask mandates, I should say. The measure underscores the parents have the sole authority to ask children to wear masks and ban districts from requiring vaccines for kids, which none have yet advanced. Another bill would include uh, early steps aimed at long-shot attempt at withdrawing from OSHA and creating a new Florida-only workplace safety agency. Public records exemption shields employees who complain about a company's COVID-19 vaccination policies. This is great legislation. Yesterday it arrived on the governor's desk. I'm quite certain he'll sign it with some fanfare here in the next couple of days. Well, President Joe Biden's vaccination mandate on businesses with 100 employees or more has been put on hold after the courts issued a stay on the order. The vaccination mandate was ordered by Biden's Occupational Safety and Health Administration under the Emergency Temporary Standard to establish minimum COVID-19 vaccination and testing requirements. While OSHA remains confident in its authority to protect workers in emergencies, OSHA has suspended activities related to the implementation and enforcement of the EPTS pending further developments in litigation. So in other words, they're putting this on hold until they find out what the courts say. That, that doesn't, doesn't protect us from what's happening here in Florida. So in Florida, we have now the law. State legislature uh, put forth laws to be passed by the governor to protect us from this central planning nonsense. By the way, everybody in, is vaccinated in Gibraltar. Since October, increasingly large number of people are triple vaccinated there. As if on cue, infections in Gibraltar skyrocketed directly afterwards. This isn't a seasonal regional effect. Neighboring countries where the booster campaign is yet to begin, like Morocco, or kick into high gear like Portugal or Spain, see a slight upward seasonal trend, nothing like the Gibraltar spike. When Israel rolled out boosters in August, they also saw spikes in infections and death. It's the same phenomena we observed after dose one. Only the second dose does enhance infections. Uh, presumably because it uh, does not enhance infections, presumably because it is administered in the protective shadow of the first one. As with everything involved in this virus and our vaccines, there are probably multiple causes at work here. For about 10 days following vaccination, the vaccinated are more susceptible to infection, and a subset of them probably will become minimally symptomatic super spreaders. Millions of people across Europe and North America will become eligible for dose three at the very height of the coronavirus season in December and January. Uptake will uh, be highest among medical professionals and nursing personnel. There is a potential for real catastrophic uh, consequences here. While the vaccinations don't work as advertised, they are powerful pharmaceutical products and they have strange, unaffected unexpected effects, not only on the bodies of people who take them, but also on the dynamics of transmission and infection. Deranged medical bureaucrats who refuse to abandon their dreams of controlling a highly contagious seasonal respiratory virus have whole populations popping these things like aspirin 
they could very well succeed in making corona into the unprecedented public health disaster that the virus itself never quite was. Interesting commentary, isn't it? Beware of the signs from Gibraltar. We should all have a choice in taking this vaccine. And by the way, this is not so reported, but the U.S. recorded its highest number of drug overdose deaths in one year period, according to the CDC. There were an estimated 100,000 drug deaths in the 12 months running through April, the ni- uh, April, this latest data shows. This marks a nearly 29% rise from the deaths recorded in the same period in the previous year. It's telling us that 2021 looks like it's going to be worse than 2020, said Robert Anderson, chief of the CDC Mortality Statistics Branch. Opioid-related deaths mainly caused by fentanyl account for 75% of the deaths through April. Now, this is a real pandemic. And, uh, of course, this has a lot to do with open borders. It has a lot to do with uh, drug running that's happening over these opening border, open borders. And uh, we have the means to solve the problem if only we would close the borders. The states, it's lawful, his lawful responsibility to do so, but he won't do it. It's unlawful. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show and the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambos says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. Golden Gate Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected into the community and with each other. Golden Gate Senior Center provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Tatiana Fortune, director of the Golden Gate Senior Center. We want to be able to connect you to whatever service or activity. And even if the person doesn't want to come out for socialization, if they have a question about, um, hey, where do I go for transportation? Where do I go for uh, a certain health care? If they have a need, we are able to point them in that direction through our information and referral service. So we're more than happy to assist in that as well. To find out more, visit CallYourSeniorResources.org. That's callyourseniorresources.org or call the Senior Center directly at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform. You can find out more and download the app from the choicesocial.us website. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of a terrific organization doing so much good for public education here in Florida, the Florida Citizens Alliance. Pastor Rick, thank you so much for joining us. 
Hey, it's great to talk to you, Bob. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, my pleasure indeed, Pastor Rick. Tell us about the Florida Citizens Alliance. Well, the Florida Citizens Alliance is, is just people. People that care about children, people that recognize the importance of helping children have a, the really best education that they can have that's specifically geared for them, that meets their needs. Uh, one of the things I've been talking about lately is wouldn't it be great if every kid woke up in the morning ready for school like it was Christmas morning and they were so excited to go to school. Yeah, And that's really what we're talking about. We want that kind of experience for every child. And excited because they're going to get a good classical education, good education instead of propaganda for sure. And I, and I, and I must underscore how important the work is that you're doing. Good influence in Tallahassee, both with, with the governor, with the Commission of Education, and with our legislature. So I uh, really congratulate you and support the work that you're doing. Now, I understand you were in uh, Tallahassee this uh, week. <laughs> a lot of exciting things going on with the special session. And I understand the Medical Freedom Rally. Yeah, everything kind of came together this week in Tallahassee, and, and we had mapped out an original plan to, to go up there for committee week this week because we like to be present and, uh, and support the bills that we're, we get behind with education. And so that was kind of our plan as we kind of traced how things were going to develop legislatively. And uh, lo and behold, the governor calls a special session of the legislature, and so that kind of fit in with what we were planning to do. And then the... the um, Grassroots people across Florida organized this medical freedom rally, and largely to support the governor's initiative to say, you know, we need to have this kind of freedom in Florida, and and to let the legislature know and and everybody know that we support this this um, this idea that people should be free with their medical choices. Mm -hmm. And um, so that rally took place on Tuesday afternoon. I was really kind of um, interested in that. <clears throat> Pardon me. The people that were there said the weather was bad on Monday. But um, I got up there Tuesday, and it was a warm, sunny day on the plaza there between the, the old court, the old um, legislative building and the new one, and hundreds of people gathered. There was an excitement in the air, a positive spirit in the air. And, and in some respects, I, I know this sounds a little hokey, but in some respects it almost seemed like a homecoming of all of these groups across Florida that we've been working with. And it seemed like every time you turned around, there was somebody that you had talked to or worked with. And, and in a couple of cases, hadn't seen for a while just because our paths hadn't crossed. Yeah. And so I, I was so excited to, to think about all of the hundreds and thousands of people that were represented there on that plaza because so many people made the effort to go to Tallahassee. And it's not easy to go to Tallahassee. It's a long way. It sure is. And if you've ever made it, you know that. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, it's, uh, of course, for a great cause, people going a long way for a great cause. You know, uh, Dan Bongino said on his show the other day, this is our country. We outnumber them. The people work, these people work for us. If we stand in solidarity and say, my body is mine, it was given to me by God, it is not a war to the state, I will determine what goes into it. There is nothing they can do. Dan Bongino, I thought that was a great well, he's, quote. He's right, and and we need to remind each other that this idea of having freedom about our medical choices or or conscience objection is not a new concept. No, <clears throat> this has been part of America forever, and it's not a special exemption. It's at the heart of liberty, and we need to we need to remind ourselves of that and stand up for that. That's absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, uh, any comments on the legislation that was passed these last couple of days? And will be apparently it's on the governor's desk already. Yeah, it, it was finished up last night, from what I understand. And, and yes, a lot of us would have liked to have seen a cleaner bill. This one takes the approach with um, allowing exemptions, but even allowing exemptions tends to put the power in the wrong place instead of the power in the people the consent of the governed, that's a little concerning. Mm -hmm. the, the best way to understand about that is one representative said to me, they're just worth the votes to do a cleaner bill. And, uh, you know, that that's worrisome. I'm glad they got what they got. We support the governor's initiative. But the fact that they couldn't get a more straightforward bill out of a Republican-controlled House and a Republican-controlled Senate ought to be kind of a wake-up call to everybody. But uh, we're going forward. We think there are some potential problems with this approach. I don't know if they'll consider uh, fixing it in the regular session. If, if things develop, you know, as a result of this, that's possible. But um, we, we in Florida can't be sorry for what they did. We can wish for better, and, and that's often going to be the case. But 
we need to be thankful that we live in Florida, not in some other places, because it's much more difficult other places. I Absolutely. will def- definitely support that. I think our governor is a firewall against the nonsense that's being perpetrated out of Washington, D.C. This administration, I think, has taken us right down the crooked road to socialism. And uh, uh, he's just, I think, doing a great job of providing the leadership we need here in our state to keep us free, would be my view. Well, I think you're exactly right, and we need to to support him using the Ninth and Tenth Amendment. He's shown some really promising signs on that, and that's not a popular approach. People like to demagogue that approach, but that is a legal approach that we as a sovereign state of Florida need to to take, and he needs to assert that that, uh, liberty because we are we are a free people in Florida and the federal government just needs to leave us alone. Yeah. So I understand you have a great opportunity coming up a Christmas party happening on December the 9th. Yes, it's going to be a lot of fun. I uh, I think people may remember if they were able to attend our event last year uh, and he's been around Southwest Florida on, on different occasions, but we're having General Jerry Boykin for a Christmas party on December 9th. All of the details are on our website, goflca.com, under the events tab. It's December 9th. It's going to be at the uh, Silver Spot. We'd like to encourage people to join us for that, to sign up, register for that. The thing about General Boykin, that, that I, and I say this to people a lot about the, the people that come the, and that they get to meet in person, you just get a different sense when you hear somebody talk in person. They just talk about things differently. Sometimes they explain things you would have never heard otherwise. And, uh, and a man like General Boykin, you know, we think about a general being this, this great person, and, and he is. But he's also just as genuine as anybody you've ever talked to. Mm-hmm. And for people to have the chance to talk to him, and, and this will be a, this kind of setting where people can talk to him, shake his hand, hear what he has to say. And, and I, I got to go to see General Boykin in Washington, and he took some of us on a tour around a few sites in Washington, D.C., and just to hear him talk about things from his perspective and to tell his experiences. Uh, he was in the desert on that failed attempt to rescue our Iranian hostages. He was there and saw what happened, and he can relate the story. And it's just kind of, uh, I, I, don't, I hardly know how to describe it, and I'm supposed to know how to describe things, you know, but it's just a, a different experience if yeah. you're a man who's been in those places. And I want to invite everybody to come. It's going to be great. Well, it sounds like a great opportunity for all of us, again, at the Silver Spot Theater. On December the 9th, I encourage you to visit GoFLCA.com. GoFLCA.com. Get tickets for to see, go to the Christmas party and see uh, General Boykin, but also make a contribution to a terrific organization. Pastor Rick, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Wonderful to talk to you, Bob. Thank you. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed. He's the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the Intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. 
with dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, not only building a 44,000-square-foot performing arts center in downtown Naples, groundbreaking is on December 1st, but also bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now we have with us Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Larry. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. We focus on young people. and We try to educate and inspire them from high school through college in ideas of individual liberty, private enterprise, and property and limited government and personal character. We do that through our uh, website, which is fee.org. It contains uh, fresh new commentary every day of the week, as well as uh, free videos and courses uh, and lots of great commentary. And then uh, also we have events for students all over the United States and abroad. Yeah. Uh, great for high school and college kids, and I've been to national conferences of the Foundation for Economic Education. I must say, if you have a young person in your life, high school or college age, please introduce them to uh, the organization. Again, fee.org is the website. Larry, you wrote uh, such an interesting piece, Seven Films for Freedom Lovers. It's kind of interesting. You don't think about films coming up uh, addressing freedom from Hollywood. Uh, tell us about it. Okay. Yeah, you know, Hollywood cranks out films by the hundreds every year, maybe thousands for all I know. Uh, in any event, uh, very few of them could be said to have a theme that is pro-freedom, uh, pro-private um, enterprise, that kind of thing. There's such a leftist slant coming out of Hollywood. <clears throat> but uh, I did choose seven films that stand out in my mind as having uh, – wonderful uh, themes that are uh, consistent with the philosophy of liberty. One of them is the alpinist, uh, named for uh, a person who is an alpine or mountain climber. It came out uh, this very year, so it's a very recent film. It's a stunningly scenic uh, documentary about a Canadian mountain climber named Marc-André Leclerc. And uh, although it has no ideological content, I don't think socialists will like it for a couple of reasons. And one is that it is a great tribute, uh, not to some collectivist blob, but rather to the individual spirit of personal independence and uh, private initiative. And it's also a tribute to homeschooling. Uh, I'll leave it at that for the viewer to, uh, to see. But when that portion came up, I was quite uh, delighted to see that it uh, was an endorsement of homeschooling as opposed to the dull uh, homogenization that you often get in government education. So that it's a very uh, wonderful film, The Alpinist. Alpinist. Uh, also, on your list, Mr. Jones, and I've heard so much about this, it's been really highly recommended. I have to admit I haven't seen it yet and probably should. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, Mr. Jones came out last year. It was produced by a Polish film producer, and it's just absolutely first-rate. It is a true telling of the story of Gareth Jones. He was a British reporter who, during the Ukrainian famine of the 1930s, which was man-made, it was forced upon Ukraine by Stalin um, in Russia, uh, he, Gareth Jones, uh, snuck his way into Ukraine illegally to find out what was going on and uh, found, of course, mass starvation, he uh, got his way out 
and back to Britain, where he began in the press to tell uh, the story of what he found. And instead of um, his friends in the press, uh, you know, standing up for the courageous work that he did, well, the the, the mainstream press attacked him, particularly uh, Walter Durante at the New York Times. And we now know that Durante was a stooge of Joseph Stalin. He huh. was uh, trying to cover up for the Soviet uh, crimes in Ukraine. Uh, so it's it's a really a horrific story, but uh, and a real tribute to the spirit of Gareth Jones. Yeah, as we're seeing today in the news, no good deed goes unpunished, huh? Yeah. So uh, another one is the lives of others. Yes, this came out in 2006 and was ranked as the best foreign film at the Academy Awards that year. It tells the story of the Stasi secret police in communist East Germany. And uh, one particular agent is assigned to this man that they suspect is, uh, you know, not a full-blown communist. He's thinking for himself. And they give, they give this poor man hell, uh, snooping over him and uh, trying to catch him in some act. And uh, it, it really is a chilling reminder of what it's like to live in a socialist spy state where the government uh, looks over you and into you uh, at every turn and looking for anything that they can pin on you. Well, we're seeing some of that right here in the United States, unfortunately. There was another yeah. good film that came out in 2006, V for Vendetta. I've not heard about it. Yeah, this is quite an interesting film. It takes place... Uh, in uh, a dystopian future socialist Britain where tyranny has completely taken over and the socialist state is suppressing dissent. And it's kind of a 1984-type uh, uh, Great Britain. And one man uh, behind a mask begins to fight back. And because he does, so does another and then another. And then the liberation from tyranny that once uh, seemed impossible, finally, uh, and actually happens. There's a line in the movie that I think should be etched into every government building the world over, and it's this. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Hear, hear. <laughs> well, and uh, to, to quote uh, another great politician, uh, courage is contagious. Yeah. And it just takes some leadership, doesn't it? Uh, so that's sure V for Vendetta. How about Ants, this surprised me to be on the list. Yeah, Ants is a great uh, film. It's an animated film, one of the few that, uh, as I began to watch it in the theater, I felt compelled to pull out a business card and start taking notes on the back because there were so many good one-liners. Uh, it's about an ant colony, and of course, as you can imagine, all the ants are expected to be obedient uh, to, the, uh, uh, to the, uh, the leaders of the colony. Nobody is supposed to stand out from the crowd, but one ant does, and he wants to uh, uh, sing his own tune. He wants to uh, follow his own drummer, uh, be himself, in other words, not be just a cog in a, in a machine. And uh, so it's very anti-collectivist because that singular ant turns out to be the hero of the story. Huh. Uh, the tyrant ants at the top of the heap are the ones giving the orders, and they expect everybody just to follow them and be an obedient blob. But, um, but this uh, one ant, his name is Z in the film, uh, he, he uh, follows a different uh, drummer, you might say, and ends up, uh, when the colony is uh, threatened, he ends up saving the colony, the one ant that uh, doesn't follow the orders from the top. So interesting. Yeah, one that surprised me that was on the list is uh, the old movie going back to 1984, Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah, I love Ghostbusters. Uh, it's a great comedy. Yeah. Uh, now almost, what, 40 years old. But um, uh, it's about these four parapsychology professors who were uh, f finally tossed out of their cushy jobs at a state university and they're standing around lamenting their predicament. One of them suggests going into business for themselves. And uh, the actor, Dan Aykroyd, uh, expresses reservations about the idea. He says, uh, personally, I like the university. They gave us money and facilities. We didn't have to produce anything. You've never been out of college. You don't know what it's like out there. I've worked in the private sector. They expect results. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is a great tribute to the private sector versus the uh, 
subsidized public sector. And a great movie, too. I, I, we're running out of time, but I do want to m- mention uh, one of my favorites, Amazing Grace. Yes. Uh, if you haven't seen it or any of your listeners haven't, uh, they should see it because it's a true story of the anti-slavery movement uh, led by William Wilberforce and Thomas Clarkson in Great Britain in the latter part of the of the uh, 18th century. Yeah. A very uh, inspirational movie and, and true to what actually happened. Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace indeed. Again, the Foundation for Economic Education, again, fee.org, F-E-E.org. Larry, always appreciate it. This is a great uh, discussion. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. My pleasure. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months, finally having exhausted all alternatives for pain management. Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. It's now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, and uh, pers- limited government and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Right now we have with us Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, sir. Tell us about Less Government. Uh, we exist to reduce the size, scope, and sphere of influence of the government, and government does not. Well, that's exactly right, but we're making some moves in a positive direction. You have this column, which I thought was terrific. Exit Leahy, of course, that's Senator Leahy from uh, Vermont, one of the worst men in the U.S. in U.S. history. Man, that's a big claim. Tell us about it. Yeah, he's he's been in uh, he's been a senator since seventy four seventy five. You know, he's elected in seventy four and sworn in in seventy five. He was part of the Watergate uh, election, and he was a senator for forty eight years. It's absurd. Yeah, he he was president during twelve or thirteen different presidential administrations. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Now he was he was a very nasty person. Like personally, interpersonal with members of the Hill, uh, he was awful to Robert. He was one of the lead awful people to Robert Bork when Bork got borked yeah. out of being a Supreme Court justice. He brought up he he without saying why questioned uh, Bork's two years making money as a consultant, 
and 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 brought up. Well, you certainly made a lot of money those two years. And Bork was very close to that. Said, "Oh, I had my reasons." And a Republican senator had to interrupt and say, "Your wife was very ill during that period, wasn't she?" Yeah. And his first wife died during those two years. Yeah. And he need, and he needed to consult and make money to pay her hospital bills, to pay her medical bills. Yeah. And 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 you know and and, and Bork, I mean, and uh, Leahy tries to turn that into a political problem. Yeah. Uh, he's he's a horrible human being. Now. His two chief things he's known for policy-wise are judges and justices and intellectual property. Now, both of these are important for a long time in, in U.S. history, of course. Judges get lifetime appointments. Yeah. And he oversaw the, the nomination, the uh, confirmation processes in the Senate. He was chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee for a very long time. And he was terrible. Like I said, he just he was all he destroyed Bork's candidacy or nomination. Um, he was terrible to to uh, Thomas Clarence Thomas. He's just he was a horrible human being, and 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 championed the worst judges there are. You know, the anti constitutionalist judges. Mm-hmm. Um, also, intellectual property. He was chairman of the subcommittee. One of the subcommittees to judiciary is intellectual property, subcommittee on intellectual property. And he, he co-wrote, it's the Leahy-Smith America Invents Act in 2013. At the time, he bragged, this is the first time we've reformed intellectual property law in 60 years. And, and so I went back and looked. That's 1951 to 2011. During which we invented hundreds of millions of things, which for which countries around the world paid us tens of trillions of dollars. Why would you want to reform that? I know. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? That's I. I wrote in the piece. I said nowhere is is the truism if it ain't broke, don't fix it ignored more than in Washington D.C. It's true. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Fifty-one was Eisenhower's first year, and we had that amazing boom in the fifties. Well, we invented all kinds of amazing stuff. You know, right. cars made dramatic leaps forward. Uh, um, you know, home appliances, home heating, home uh, air conditioning. You know, we, we our system was immaculate, and that's why we kept spinning off all these amazing things that improved our lives and improved our wealth. Right. And he felt the need. To, you know, it's 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 like Obama. I'm gonna. I love the U.S. and to prove it, I'm gonna fundamentally transform it. Yeah. <laughs> if you love your wife, do you want to fundamentally transform her? I don't think so. A lot of marriages so, start that way, unfortunately. But yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So, well, that's how women usually view it. Um, but um, but anyway, so in 2011, they write this awful bill that creates the Patent Trial and Appeal Board, and what happened was. About 1% of patents were challenged in court. Uh-huh. Uh, that's it. One less, about a little over 1%. And so this is a problem. You know, they, this is a patent troll lie where they, they viewed it as a problem that, you know, I would invent something, but I didn't want to make it. Yeah. <laughs> so I sold it to you, Bob. Yeah. And you leased the patents to everybody. I took the money you gave me and work on my next invention. They turned that into a bad thing, a patent troll. And the, the purpose, one of the alleged points of the law was to attack patent trolls. Well, what it did was attack patents. Right. The Patent Trial and Appeal Board allows anybody to file a challenge for two hundred grand, And so big t- international corporations, including big tech, They'll file 50 slightly different worded challenges to a patent. Right. And some poor schmuck like me who just invented something and just got his patent can't afford to fight that. Right. Yeah. So they, they had to basically just, they had to like give up the patent. It just becomes the, whoever challenged it. It just becomes public domain. And so what happens, what happens, to, money what happens to the initiative for people to invent more? Or to well, do more? It, uh, yeah. I mean, if you're a farmer and you... You know, plant and sow and uh, uh, fertilize and water, and and then everybody on the planet can walk on your land and take your corn after you've grown it. Yeah. Why would you plant the next season? Yeah. Um, so that so we've seen a precipitous drop in 
uh, intellectual property, we, we led the planet forever. We were number one forever in intellectual property creation and protection. And we, we dropped out of the top ten by the time Obama left office. Wow. And that's partly what Obama did unilaterally at the Patent and Trademark Office, but it's, it's, it's largely the accumulating effect of the American Invents Act which Leahy co-sponsored and wrote. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, you know what though, uh, Leahy's leaving office, but it, it being from Vermont, the probability is high that we're going to end up with another Leahy. Oh, it's going to be Sanders. You know, it's, it's hilarious since I was doing the research for this thing. <laughs> Leahy was bragging that he was the only Democrat senator ever elected from Vermont, and I'm like, yeah, because you've already moved past Democrat to socialist. Yeah. Why is that a why is that an achievement? Um, yes. So it's going to be another Sanders bot. You know, it's going to be, it's, it, it, it might be Lynch. There's this guy Lynch, who's the only congressman they have, because, of course, it's a tiny state. Yeah. And uh, Welch, Welch, I'm sorry, uh, Matt Welch, I think is his name. Um, and, and he, you know, he's considering running, and I don't, you know, you know these Democrats, you don't, I don't know why he wouldn't. Um, and he's awful. He's terrible, too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Leahy destroyed his legacy as he destroyed the greatest intellectual property system in the history of the world. Yeah, and, and listen, Seaton, I so, totally support that. I mean, we've got the CPAC, this uh, organization that's part of the executive branch that's making judicial decisions about patents. We, you know, fixed a problem that what well, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Again, back to that. Just leave, right. just leave it alone. See, no, well, yeah, a- you know, it's very difficult to look at that sixty-year span and say, you know what, we need to, we we need to revolutionize this. <laughs> yeah. And of course, the people who was listening to were gigantic international corporations. Yeah, who were complaining about? Basically, what they were complaining about is, I, we don't want to pay leasing, we don't want to pay patent leasing fees. Right, Sounds and so. He created. He created a system for them, where he could. They could, for a pittance, eviscerate the patents they wanted. You know, the, 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 eviscerate the owners of the patents they wanted to steal. You know, the devil's in the details. This is such an important issue. Again, Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. I encourage you to visit the website lessgovernment.org, and also, of course, on Facebook, Less Government as well. Seton, always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great day, sir. Thank you. You as well. Thank you, Seton. All right, coming up, the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. It's the 17th annual Capital Wealth Advisors Turkey Drop. On November 15th, Capital Wealth Advisors joined St. Matthew's House, corporate partners, and 100 volunteers to assemble more than 2,500 Hope for the Holidays meal boxes for those in need. Meal boxes will include a turkey, side, pumpkin pie, and eggs. St. Matthew's House will distribute the meals to low-income families, those with disabilities, senior citizens, and veterans. The public is invited to help by donating frozen turkeys and canned goods starting on November 9th. Deliver donations to St. Matthew's House Donation Drop-Off at 2601 Airport Road South, Monday through Saturday, 9 to 5. Cash donations are also welcome. For more than 30 years, St. Matthew's House has been providing food, shelter, and life-transforming programs to those struggling with poverty, food insecurity, 
homelessness, and addiction. Visit stmatthewshouse.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board. Among other things, they're creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, vfga.org. We have with us the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Bob, always my pleasure. Tell you what, there isn't a Thursday that goes by that uh, I can't wait to get up and sit down and just watch the seconds tick by until you call. <laughs> yeah, well, I always <laughs> we always enjoy your commentary. Hey, by the way, the the apparently they're now considering changing the charter of uh, Naples to have language that's more inclusive. For I guess I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> it sounds the, the gender uh, yeah. uh, issues. Uh, them where he or she, it's they or I, I don't know. I um, well we we yeah that that we heard a little bit about that yesterday. I think that um, what in in the little wisdom that comes out of there once in a while. Um, they decided that 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 needed a lot more um, um, surveying and research and everything else before they were just going to jump right in. The initial thing was it was a first ordinance of a reading, and then they would do a second one in a, in a couple of weeks. And there's no way in the world that you could put something like that on a ballot. Yeah. Until it, it was totally, totally vetted. You know what I mean? I certainly do. And I guess it does. It's going to require a, a vote of people because it is a change in the uh, in the charter. So, right. So I, I, I don't think that um, that that will be coming up in the near future. Let's put it that way. Got I could it. be wrong, but, you know. So, but yesterday, yesterday was a very interesting day because... Um, unbeknownst to many, um, both the Port Royal Association and the Royal Harbor Association showed up at public comment yesterday morning um, and read letters into the record. And I, I can tell you, uh, too long to read on the show, but some excerpts were uh, Port Royal. They were they were both very very upset about what we're doing with our first responders' salaries. Mm. Um, being way below the norm and ex- explaining to council, uh, well, actually it was to Mayor Heitman, um, that they be- better get down to business and take care of the people uh, that support us and keep us safe um, because that's what the city of Naples was built on. And it was a very hardcore, um, hmm. you know, get your butt in gear, kind of wake up and what's going on down there. And to come from the chairman, um, of the uh, uh, Port Royal Property Owners Association was uh, was a, a, a pretty big blow swung. Well, that's good news. I mean, the fact matters we should compensate. You know, we're living in the best place in the United States out of 194 communities, the happiest and healthiest. We should have we should properly pay our law enforcement and first responders. Well. That, that is correct, and the people aren't happy, but you see what happened. It was like you and I talked about last week. If you don't know, you can't do anything about it. And um, the, uh, the mayor had the nerve yesterday after they read these, and she said, don't know who she said to, I'll have to replay it, but she said, oh, I, I didn't even know that was going on. Something to that effect. And that's like, <laughs> that's like a slap in the face, Bob. That's like... You don't know. You just summed it up. You don't know yeah. because uh, obviously you're not paying any attention to what's going on, uh, or you don't understand it. I don't know which. I don't know which would be the. Or she knew all about it and just wanted to not uh, and perhaps tell right. fib. <laughs> right. So they're they're in negotiations now, which of course are are confidential. But uh, they got a long way. They have a long way to go, Bob. Yeah. They've got a long way to go to just get back to basic to to, to basic average. Let's put it that way huh. for city our size. But um, uh, there's the the people, the voters will be extremely upset when this comes out. Hmm. Extremely upset. So I thought that would uh, uh, spur your interest. It certainly morning. does. Now I understand there's another homeowners association that uh, that also made a presentation. Yeah, Royal Harbor. 
Right. Uh, on, on the same vein, uh, uh, Donna Kral, who's the president of the uh, Royal Harbors Association, uh, uh, kind of chewed him out. Same thing, um, you know, about, hey, you know, what, what exactly are you doing? Yeah. Because we know what you're not doing. And uh, they were, um, you know, they were very direct and very to the point, and there was no wishy-washy, uh, well, if you could just do this, and maybe we could, it was none of that. Yeah, so how, how did the, uh, uh, we know how the mayor responded, how did city council members respond? I, I don't think there was any response uh, hmm. from from council. It was just a, uh, uh, I, mayor just said thank you and and that was it there was no there was certainly no major comment on it let's put it that way that takes up you know a lot of time which when there there probably should have been but they didn't have anything to say i'm sure they'll come back and and comment on it but um uh it won't be till the next meeting if at all so and i think i i i i oh yeah the big thing bob they were one of the things in there they said why are you losing all your key staff? Why why are your key members of staff leaving? The, you know, our this past week, our um, director of uh, streets and stormwater, Greg Strakalos, has been with us over ten years. Yeah, he's leaving December tenth. Yeah, he's going out to California. I mean, um, he he was he was terrific, a great young man. Uh, and these are the people that we need to have here. We need to keep here. But you know, when you when you get up in front of council, um, I would never treat staff the way that they treat the staff. Just you know, you don't talk rough to them. They work for you. Yeah. And if you have something to say, you know, you you've been corporate. You know better than probably anybody. When you have something that you need to to reprimand somebody about, you don't do it in public. Right. You have an office meeting and, you know, you say, hey, Bob, you know, this this is not going right or can we work on this or whatever. You don't just lambast them when they do a report and say, well, you're wrong on that or whatever. And I think the staff has just gotten so worn down and the morale has gotten so bad that 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 the key people are just there. There are plenty of wonderful, wonderful jobs out there and plenty of employers that would love to have them and that's exactly what they're doing well that's the point i mean right now we have uh, 10 million job openings across the country i'm sure several of them might be uh, openings for positions in pu- uh, public government municipal government so right. uh, uh you know if in fact you're going to hold 12-hour meetings if you're going to uh, treat staff incorrectly or without respect uh, you know you can imagine they're opening up uh, the uh, different uh, uh, uh newspapers and looking for opportunity Right, and and you know when you look at the at the key, they're all key people. But I mean, you look at what happened with Charles Chapman, you know, our 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 new city manager at the time, and uh, they ran him out, and then they ran uh, Dana just couldn't take it anymore, and so he got a wonderful job as the manager of Sanibel Island, and the mayor of Sanibel sent the most beautiful letter welcoming him, welcoming him yeah. uh, to Sanibel to be part of their family up there. And uh, it was a real classy, real classy letter. I, I saw a copy of it, and it was really nice. And and where where you we're talking about you and I are talking about being appreciated. You know, that's a nice. That's what you want. That's the environment you want to work in. Absolutely. And you know what? Appreciation costs nothing. <laughs> right. Respect. Right. Respect is earned. Yeah. You know what I mean? And um, you know, it doesn't come with the job, but it comes with the job to an extent. That when you first get it, obviously, you've got the job because you were well respected by your peers. Yeah, absolutely. And um, if, if you don't get a chance, uh, you know, now, P.T. Maria, who is a wonderful, wonderful human being, and he's our fire chief, but he's now the interim city manager. And who knows how long it's going to take them to get a full-time city manager. I mean, Pete is talented, knows what he's doing, but there's some things in there that are that are obviously out of his range. He's a fire chief, and he gets to know a lot of things, but there are some things that he's, you know, yeah, he's not trained go for. to school for, but yeah. um, he'll hang in there. I mean, at least I hope he hangs in there, and they, uh, they better be, uh, they better tiptoe around him a little bit, and, and um, treat him with respect. He, he can go back and be fire chief. Exactly. <laughs> Bill Barnett, again, Naples, former ma- mayor of Naples. I just genuinely appreciate your comment here, and give us the what's up here and what's happening in Naples. Thank you so much for joining us. Bob, my pleasure, and have a great one. Take care. You as well. Thank you, Bill. 
Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Always appreciate your feedback. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. bobharden at hotmail.com. Tomorrow, we're going to visit with William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. Brad Palumbo will be joining us. He is the uh, domestic commentator for the Foundation for Economic Education. Dave Beagle is the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. And Michael Cannon is Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harton Show on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharton.com.